Hello everybody, I'm Devin and you are listening to Spooky Spoilers. I just wanted to let you guys know that this podcast can now be found on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can follow Spooky Spoilers on Instagram at spooky underscore spoilers underscore and you can send your listener scares or listener stories to spookyspoilers at gmail.com. So any stories that you have with your own personal accounts of paranormal activity, you know, like you saw a ghost or experienced something crazy, or if you have any experiences with true crime, like you were almost abducted or something like that, and you want to share your experience, go ahead and send that to my email and I will read it on a listener scares episode. If you want your name to be anonymous or anything to be left out, like personal details that you don't want anyone knowing, just include that in the email and I will make sure to not share that on the podcast. So yeah, tune in later. Um, probably in August to listen to a listener scares episode. Okay, so this episode is going to be a little bit different. I'm still doing a movie review and synopsis, but I'm also covering the real life story of the family who inspired this movie. So the movie that we're talking about today is The Conjuring. It came out in 2013. And uh, I'm just going to keep the cinema side of it kind of on the short side because I did really want to focus on the actual family that this was based on. So let's get into it. The director is James Wan. He also directed Insidious, Malignant, Saw, and The Conjuring 2. Writers were Chad Hayes and Carrie Hayes. Chad Hayes also was involved with The Conjuring 2 and Lethal Weapon. Pause while I flip my page. Carrie W. Hayes was involved with The Crucifixion, The Reaping, and The Turning. I haven't seen any of those, but he really did do great work on The Conjuring, so I was I was impressed with him. Uh, the producers, Peter Safran, he produced The Nun, the first and the second, Conjuring 2, and Annabelle Creation. And then Rob Cohen, <clears throat> he was involved with the films Aquaman, The Conjuring, and San Andreas. Oh, one more, sorry. Uh, The producers, or another producer, sorry, is Tony DeRosa Grund. He he produced Josie and the Pussycats and then also The Conjuring. Uh, I haven't seen Josie and the Pussycats. It looked like it was a comedy from what I could see, but uh, like I said, I thought this movie was really well done, so hats off to all of the producers uh, and, you know, the whole production crew. So let's get into the cast. Lorraine Warren is played by Vera Farmiga. Ed Warren is played by Patrick Wilson. Bathsheba Sherman is played by Joseph Bishara. Carolyn Perrin is played by Lily Taylor. Roger Perrin is played by Ron Livingston. Andrea Perrin is played by Shanley Caswell. Cindy Perrin is played by Mackenzie Foy. April Perrin is played by Kyla Deaver. Nancy Perrin is played by Haley McFarland. And then the last one that we're going to include here is Christine Perrin, and she was played by Joey King. I love Joey King. I also really love Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, and Lily Taylor. But yeah, they had a really great cast. I love this cast. So the movie was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. Filming began in February of 2012. The movie was actually originally titled The Warren Files, and then after getting through the movie before they released it and showed it at, like, uh, you know, film festivals, they changed it to The Conjuring. The movie was released 
July 19th, 2013. The movie grossed over $319 million and it had a budget of $20 million, so it did really well. Uh, it is part of a sequel. De Rosa Grun tried for 14 years to get The Conjuring film made and could never get a contract signed until finally one day somebody signed with him. But he tried for a really, really long time to get this movie like into action and nobody was getting on board with it, which I thought was interesting because this movie did so well. I remember when it came out, everybody was talking about it. I've seen it multiple times. It's a really well-loved movie. So I was shocked to you know, hear that it took so long to get made. Um, also, I'm, I'm recording in a yurt right now and you can hear like all of the sounds of nature. Uh, because I'm in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm not really, but like where I live is pretty out there. And so I'm in the woods basically, and you can hear like all these birds and owls and everything, but, uh, I mean, owls are birds, but you know what I mean? Um, so sorry about the nature sounds. Hopefully y'all are cool with that. But anyway, moving on. Lorraine Warren was involved in the making of the movie for accuracy. They consulted with her a lot, just, you know, fact-checking what really happened, things like that. And she hung out with the cast. She hung out specifically with, you know, the, the people who were playing Ed and Lorraine Warren, so Farmiga and Wilson. Uh, and they said that she was just an amazing energy, a great presence to have there while filming, and she was just a really sweet person. The scenes were shot in chronological order, which I thought was really interesting because just from the movies I've researched, that's not... God, these fucking birds. Just from the movies I've researched, that's kind of rare to shoot a movie in chronological order. So I thought that was really interesting. Originally, the movie was about two hours long. Around 20 to 30 minutes of it were cut off before the film was shown at a festival. When it was shown, it got great reviews, and then they pushed forward with uh, the release of it. This one was really interesting. I love how this played out. I thought this was so cool. So the guy who composed the musical score was also the guy who played Bathsheba. So he also worked on the Insidious set with James Wan, but I just thought it was really cool. Apparently they were like working on the music for this movie and Wan was like, hey, look, like I want you to be part of the movie. I want you to be, you know, the, the demon or the ghost pretty much. And he was like, yeah, I'm down, I guess. So that's how that happened. I thought that was really cool. Let's go ahead and get into some behind the scenes. Lorraine Warren, and this is the real Lorraine Warren. If I'm referring to the characters, I will say the actors' names. Uh, so Lorraine Warren said that she felt bad and weird growing up based uh, on the fact that she had like a psychic ability. And she grew up Catholic, so she said she was always going to confession like all the time to repent because she felt... Like, she was sinning just for having this, like, gift. Once again, ignore while I turn the page. Uh, she went to a priest in her church, and he told her that it was not a sin to use her psychic ability and that that was a gift that God had given her. Also, while I was watching interviews, I watched an interview with Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, and they just seemed to have the best chemistry and energy. Like, I love both of them independently as you know an actor and an actress but them together that dynamic they're they're just great on screen i love them 
everyone in the cast was extremely respectful of the events that happened to the Perrin family, and they wanted to do a good job of portraying the events that people actually experienced. So in a lot of the interviews that I watched, the person interviewing would be like, so do you actually believe this? Or like, what are your thoughts on this? And none of them were like, no, this is all bullshit. Like, this is some stupid ghost story to make money. They were all very respectful. And they all said, it's not my place to decide whether or not this really happened. It's my place to, you know, sell the movie. And I want to do a good job of respecting the people who actually lived this experience and do believe that this really happened, you know? So they were all really respectful of that, which I thought was cool. Lily Taylor, the one who played Carolyn Perrin, the mom, she went through vocal training to be able to scream like so consistently and frequently without losing her voice and damaging her vocal cords. So she did a lot of exercises for that. And then she also just did body conditioning in general because she really got beat up throughout this movie a lot, as you can tell. So I thought that was interesting. And then since this is like a spooky movie and it's based on or inspired by, I'll say, a true story, I really wanted to look into whether or not there were any spooky experiences while filming, and there actually weren't. So the cast and the production team said that they never experienced any creepy or paranormal things on set or during filming, but I do also have to mention that none of them went to the original house. Like, no one in the production team or the cast ever went to the original house. They filmed in a studio and then on a campus and out in some areas in Wilmington, North Carolina. But that was about it. So, yeah, nobody went to the house. So maybe that's why they didn't experience anything. But, yeah. So there's that. So let's get into ratings. IMDb rated this movie a 7.5 out of 10. And then Rotten Tomatoes rated this movie an 86%. So pretty good ratings. I am going to go ahead and give a short rundown of the movie. I know I always say short and it ends up being like a 45-minute description of a movie. But since I do have like six pages of notes on the Perrin family, I'm going to keep this actually short. So the Perrin family, they move to Rhode Island. They buy this house immediately weird things start happening like paranormal activity so they reach out to ed and lorraine warren who are well-known demonologists and they ask will you please come to our house like we're terrified we need your help so ed and lorraine warren go to their house and throughout the entire movie they're kind of showing the background of ed and lorraine warren how they're very well-known demonologists they were involved with the amityville haunting several other key paranormal experiences throughout history. So there's a demon who is inhabiting the house named Bathsheba Sherman. Ed and Lorraine Warren try cleansing the house. They try doing multiple things, but nothing works. And eventually it comes to the point where the mother is possessed. And apparently Bathsheba has a history of possessing mothers in order to kill their children. So the mother, Carolyn, gets possessed, tries to kill their daughter, but Ed Warren conducts a exorcism and then everything is fine like big happy ending everything's good so that's basically the gist of the movie now we're going to get into the life of the Perrin family who is the actual family that inspired the story of the conjuring i'm really excited for this i typed all my notes up there's six pages and they're all sectioned off with bold headings 
So I'm excited I organized this for you guys. <clears throat> so let's get into the background of the property. The house is located in Harrisville, Rhode Island. I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, but if anybody knows if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I looked it up, but I'm not sure if that source gave me the correct pronunciation. So if anybody knows how to pronounce this tribe name, then just please correct me. So the land was originally inhabited by the Nipmuc and other local indigenous tribes. The land was purchased by Roger Williams and he established the colony of Rhode Island and Providence plantations. And what that really means is that he invaded somebody else's land, uh, stole their land, brutalized their people, and sold most everyone into the slave trade if they didn't just outright murder them. So that's what we mean when we say he bought the land. Um, and of course, when you like look up the colony of Rhode Island and Providence plantations, it tells you, you know, what it is that they were applying basically to be like one of the 13 colonies, but they don't really tell you just on a plain Google search about all of the indigenous people that lost their lives as a result of this. You got to go digging for that. But I wanted to make sure I shared that in here that this land was stolen by indigenous people. The house was built in 1736 and it was sold only to people who followed the beliefs of Roger Williams. He like bought a big, big area of land and sold it off to people who followed his teaching. So he kept it kind of in his own circle of people. It was sold throughout the years uh, over generations and generations until finally it was bought by the Perrin family in December of 1970. <clears throat> so you can go visit the house today and it's manned by employees who preserve it and they do tours and things like that. I believe you can even request to stay the night there if you're crazy enough, but uh, I wouldn't know the details on, you know, staying there. But if you want to check it out, then I will link it in the show notes below. So these are the supposed spirits who are believed to live there. Abigail Cook Arnold. From what I can tell, she sounds pretty chill. She just requests that everyone who visits be respectful of the house, the spirits, and the property. Uh, people who have said to have communicated with her relayed that message, I guess. And she was said to have died of an unknown illness at 93 years old. She died a long, long time ago, so it would you know, be expected that it's an unknown illness. But... The next one is Oliver Richardson, who in the Conjuring movie, the 2013 Conjuring, is portrayed as Rory, the little boy who goes to hide, you know, in the walls and everything when he gets scared. That is supposed to be Oliver Richardson, and he was roughly five or six years old when he died. Oliver Richardson, I could not find information on how he died. I just found information on how old he was. The next one does not have a last name, but his name is Matthew K., and he actually did not live on the property. They say that he is a visitor. Uh, some of the employees and people who have visited the house are the ones who are saying that he is a spirit there. He used to come to the house. This is supposedly he used to come to the house with his friends before he died. And rumor has it they found the house by following a floating light. Which if I saw like a floating light in the middle of the woods... I can't say that I'm going to follow it. <laughs> I'd probably get so scared and run the other way. So Matthew K. died in 1888 at 27 years old. 
People have communicated with him several times at the house, and he is known to be very friendly to guests. The employees of the Conjuring House showed Matthew how smartphones work, and he apparently said that it was witchcraft. So <laughs> I think that's hilarious. The next spirit is Bathsheba Sherman, who is the, you know, antagonist of the Conjuring movie. So there were some discrepancies about her story, though. So let's get into that. So she was born Bathsheba Thayer, or Thayer maybe, in Rhode Island in 1812. She married Judson Sherman in Thompson, Connecticut, and she was a housewife. So, you know, she had babies and cooked dinner, took care of the house, took care of her husband. That was her thing. It was, you know, 1812. What else are you going to do as a woman? She had one son who she lived to see marry, but many uh, accounts of people from that time say that she had three other children who didn't make it to age seven. Census records can't confirm this, but there could be a reason behind that that explains everything. So the census was taken every 10 years, and it could be possible if they didn't live to even be age seven that they all died before the census was recorded again. So that would make sense that they were never, you know, on paper because they weren't there when the census was recorded. There's one photo on the internet that is possibly Bathsheba, but there's no telling whether or not it's actually her because the woman is wearing a mask in the photo, much like, you know, we're wearing masks today because of COVID. There were so many illnesses and viruses, diseases going on back then that uh, many people in that one photo were wearing masks. So you can't really guarantee that it's her and there is no actual evidence to prove that that is her in the photo. Going back to this idea that Bathsheba in the movie is a witch. So there was a rumor, you know, back in the 1820s, 1830s, whatever, that Bathsheba was a Satanist or a witch because an infant died in her care. And when the baby was examined, it appeared to have a large needle shoved in the base of its skull. So people were claiming that she was sacrificing the baby to Satan. So wild. Uh, she actually did go to trial for the crimes, but no evidence was found. So she actually wasn't charged. She was let go. But a lot of the townspeople were not convinced, even though she was free to go. They still believed that she was a Satanist or a witch. And so they kind of shunned her. Bathsheba eventually died of old age. She wasn't murdered in the basement, like the movie says. Uh, her gravesite is located in the historic cemetery across from the fire station in downtown Harrisville, Rhode Island. And if anyone is in that area and would like to go visit specifically, it is near Sherman Farm Road, if you're trying to hunt it down, you know. I'm sure a good Google search would give more information than I did. And now we are going to talk about the deaths that occurred on the property, because according to the movie... There were hella deaths and people were murdered, everything like this. We're going to get into some of that because not all of that is true. But there were, you know, a handful of deaths. More deaths than I, anyone would be comfortable with, you know. So there were two suicides by hanging, one suicide by poison, two drownings, and then four men froze to death on the property. But that was during the war. And so that wasn't like people were inhabiting the house at the time as a family and they just so happened to like freeze to death. It was during the war. Not saying that's any better, but you did hear a lot of accounts of people freezing to death or dying of exposure, things like that. Touching on this one more time, there was a rumor that there was a rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl. 
who lived in the house at one point and she was raped and murdered by a farmhand. However, there is evidence that that did happen to that little girl and it was at the hands of a farmhand, but her body was discovered at a different location, which makes investigators believe that she was not murdered at the property or on the property. So that would not be considered a death that occurred there. So, yeah. So let's get into the actual Perrin family and their background. The Perrin family moved into the Conjuring house, what we'll call it, in December or January of 1970 and 71. So it, I saw many records that say they bought the house in December of 1970, but they might not have necessarily fully moved in until January of 1971. Eventually, they did live there for 10 years. So I guess they did move in in December of uh, 1970 because it says they lived there for 10 years and moved to Georgia in 1980. Let's get into the family members. Carolyn Perrin is the mother. She was born August of 1939. I don't have full information on all of these people, so I am just working with the information that I could find. Roger Perrin was the father. He was born August 27th, 1935 in Providence, Rhode Island. Andrea Perrin, she was the oldest daughter, born October 10th, 1958. She was born in Rhode Island, and she also has several books, the most popular being House of Darkness, House of Light. Nancy Perrin was born February 8th, 1960 in Wilmantic, Connecticut. Christine Perrin was born January 30th, 1961, also in Wilmantic, Connecticut. Don't think I pronounced that right the first time. I'm just going to go ahead and move past it, though. Cindy Perrin, I don't have a birthday for her, but she was also born in Wilmantic, Connecticut, and so was April Perrin. A little background on the Warrens. The Warrens were Ed and Lorraine Warren. Lorraine Warren was born January 31st, 1927, and she was born in Connecticut. Ed Warren was born as Warren Edward Miney, and he was born September 7th, 1926. He was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and he died August 23rd. <laughs> in my notes, I was so tired typing this. It says August 20th, 23rd, like 23th. I don't know why. Anyway, August 23rd, 2006, from complications from a stroke, which is really unfortunate. But um, So that was that couple. In 1952, they founded the New England Society for Psychic Research. They were really popular after their initial involvement in the Amityville. I don't know what's wrong with me talking today. Actually, I regularly have problems with talking, so I don't know why I'm acting surprised. Anyway. They got popular after their involvement in the Amityville hauntings. I'm sorry. I, I know how to say Amityville. I don't know why that came out so weird. Whatever. So now we're going to get into some of the actual paranormal activity that the real Perrin family experienced. And we're going to discuss a little bit of the discrepancies between what the movie exaggerated and what really happened. So Carolyn was reported to be laying on the couch and then she felt a stabbing pain in her calf. She looked at her calf and noticed kind of blood dripping from her leg and what looked like a wound caused by a large needle being shoved in her leg, kind of like the baby who died in Bathsheba's care. Household items would go missing randomly. So, you know, spoons or pots and pans, people's belongings, shoes, um, I don't know if they had a TV. They had a TV at the time, yeah, so the remote um, just random things. 
The family would hear strange noises throughout the house. I feel like that's a given for any paranormal activity. Noises that just didn't make sense. So you would hear footsteps upstairs when all the family was downstairs, stuff like that. Carolyn complained of fi finding piles of dirt on the floor after she just cleaned, which I think is so interesting because not only like does it suck to be haunted, you're literally being haunted by a fucking ghost, but it's just dirtying your house up. Like you don't have five kids to already clean up after. What? Anyway, that's rude. Of all the things that the ghost did, I think that's the rudest. Anyway, the family claimed to also smell rotting flesh in some spots throughout the house, but they would search for hours to find the source and could never find it. And I actually, before researching all of this, did not know that if you were around like spirits, specifically bad spirits, like evil entities and things like that, you'll smell rotting flesh. And I didn't know that. I thought that was crazy. I don't necessarily think I've ever smelled that smell before. Like, I've never smelled a rotting dead body. You know, like, I've been to hell at funerals and shit, but that's not the same as, like, stumbling upon an actual rotting body, you know? So I don't know what that smells like, thank God. But that must have been terrible. Because imagine, and it was only in pockets throughout the house. So it's not like the entire house smelled like it. Like, you could walk in the kitchen and it would smell like apple pie and then you could go into like, I don't know, the basement or your closet to get something and it would just suddenly smell really bad. So that was wild. Furniture would levitate. So yeah, we'll just leave that at that. If furniture is levitating, I would say you're, you're pretty haunted, you know? The Warrens came to the house several times doing readings and cleansings, and then they eventually conducted a seance in which Carolyn was temporarily possessed. So there's a huge difference throughout the movie compared to the real events. So in the movie, Ed conducts a an exorcism that is not even approved by the Vatican until after he does it, and then she's fine. Everything's good. But that is not actually what happened. They did not perform an exorcism. Exorcisms are only allowed to be performed by an official of the Catholic Church. But yeah, so apparently they did a seance and she actually was possessed. That's what Ed and Lorraine Warren claim, or Lorraine Warren. Ed unfortunately passed away as we know. But we will hear an account from Andrea, the oldest daughter, who does not agree with that. So let's just keep going a little bit. Another thing I want to mention is that in the movie, a huge part of the lore of Bathsheba is that she would possess people to cause them to kill their children. And that was not at all anything that was involved in this paranormal account of the Perrin family. So Carolyn Perrin never tried to kill her daughter. She never tried to hurt anybody, nothing like that. The majority of the paranormal activity were bad things that were happening to Carolyn. So that was a huge, you know, discrepancy. And I know that it was exaggerated for the purpose of film, but I did want to point that out. During the seance, Carolyn rep reportedly levitated, spoke in tongues, or at least in an unknown language, and then was thrown 20 feet across the room, like thrown into the wall. So that is absolutely insane. Oh, and the part of the detail in the movie where all of the clocks stop at 3.07, all of the clocks would stop and certain paranormal activities would occur at certain times, but it was not 3.07. It was 5.15. So paranormal activity would often increase at this time or if it hadn't been happening, it would uh, begin at that time and then clocks would also stop at that time. 
but there was no rumor behind why that certain time it was just that was stated that it was 515. So something that I found really interesting was that we have several interviews. I mean, Andrea wrote three books. So obviously, you know, she very much remembers this happening in her life. She was the oldest daughter. She's very coherent for all of it and remembers it all. And she has a different story of how things went. So this is Andrea's account of things. I think I've been saying Andrea and Andrea. I don't know if I've been saying both. If I have, I'm sorry. I'm sticking with Andrea from now on. So Andrea says that she doesn't think the house is haunted, but she says that it's a, quote, shared space, unquote. I'm sorry. I'm not sharing a space with anybody. Like, if you're paying your rent and you're my roommate, that's fine. But I'm not sharing my space with a no-rent-paying ghost. So, Andrea thinks Lorraine Warren was, quote, committing spiritual malpractice, unquote, by conducting the seance. And she said that by doing that, conducting the seance, she invited everything in. So she basically says that by conducting the seance, Ed and Lorraine Warren basically offered up their home and their energy to every spirit and entity that was out there and kind of put a target on their back, basically. Andrea said she doesn't think her mom was possessed at all when that happened, when she spoke in tongues and levitated and was thrown across the room. She said she thinks that her mom was attacked. Andrea said that the Warrens just showed up on their doorstep one day and that the family didn't even know who they were. And I couldn't really find any elaboration on that. So I think it's, I don't necessarily know if I believe that they just showed up on their doorstep and they didn't even know who they were and they let them in and everything. Um, it's hard for me to believe that the Warrens could track you down if you're not like publicly talking about what what is going on. Like this was the 70s, you know, you don't have social media, you have nothing like that. So how did they find out about your story and like where you were living and everything like that if they didn't already contact you or hear from you or know about you somehow, you know? You must have been like advertising this in some way to the public if they found out who you were and found your address. Uh, unless like, because I didn't find any details on like how that happened. So unless Lorraine Warren is like such a clairvoyant medium that she just has in her head and can know, oh, this family like in Rhode Island needs our help. Let's go find them down. This is their address. And I don't think that's how it works. So um, Andrea thinks that Bathsheba got a bad rap, which I think is quite interesting considering, you know, the events that happened to your mom, but whatever. So she said that she doesn't think that she's like evil or, or demonic or anything like that, that Andrea herself never had any bad experiences with any of the spirits there. She said that her sisters did and her mom specifically did and that she felt really bad about those things, but that she never had a bad experience with any of the spirits there and that she holds them quite dear to her heart, specifically, specifically Bathsheba, because they were like such a core part of her growing up. Which I think is interesting, but you know, if your family's getting like harmed in all these ways, I don't know if I'd still be really down to chill with the ghosties, but you know. She did close out one of her interviews by saying that she harbors no ill feelings toward the Warrens, but she thinks that they tried to help in a situation where they were in way over their heads. So she basically said, I know that they were trying to help and they helped the best that they could, but there was no one who was really equipped to handle that situation. 
Okay, I had to go get my apple juice box because I was getting really parched, guys. Sorry. All right, so first thing I really noticed about this movie was how, or the first thing I made a note of was how the dog wouldn't go inside and how crazy the foreshadowing was toward the house being evil or something evil, you know, being inside the house. And then when their dog dies, oh, I hate when they kill off animals in the movies. I mean, obviously, people getting hurt is sad too but there's just something about killing animals i can't get behind you know can't get behind either but like i said i don't know anyway you know what i mean also when they find the cellar and it's all boarded up and they take all the boards down go inside and come back up and they're like huh i wonder why it's boarded up if i moved into a house and a cellar was there and it was all boarded up like that honestly I'd probably sell the house. Like, I don't know. I, I think I would find it before. Maybe I wouldn't find it. I don't know. Anyway, I certainly wouldn't take all the boards away. I would leave a board up, boarded up. And then all the clocks, I used to get so creeped out. So in this movie, obviously all the clocks stop at 3.07. And then usually around that time, spooky shit starts happening. So what's wild is I have insomnia and I often have sleep problems, whether that's Sometimes I can fall asleep really easily, but I wake up pretty early in the morning, usually around 3 a.m. or 3.30 or sometimes even 3.33, which is creepy. So, or either that or I just can't sleep all night, like I can't get to sleep. But sometimes I'll go through phases in life where like for a month or a couple months, I'll just wake up at the same time every single morning. And it's so creepy. And I don't know what it is because it's not like I have to get up and pee or something wakes – like a noise wakes me up or anything like that. I literally just naturally wake up at the same time every single morning. And it's always something to do with 3. Like 3 a.m., 3.30, 3.33. And it's it used to creep me out. So whenever I saw that in the movie, I was like, oh, my God. Please don't tell me something's following me. One of the scenes that I laughed at the, the most was when – uh, one of the daughters, the one played by Joey King, and her name is escaping me at the moment, but it was Christine. She was laying on the bed, and her foot kept getting touched by something, obviously a demon, and her feet were just totally uncovered with no covers on them. And I was just like, "If you, that's why you sleep with your feet covered, so the demons don't get you. Like, that's horror movie 101. You have to know that. But it reminded me of this time where I had a dream, and this is going to sound really weird, but so I was sleeping, and while I was sleeping, I was dreaming that I was basically like the Wicked Witch of the Wicked Witch of the West. You know how like she's just moseying along doing her thing, and then something falls from the sky and lands on her, and her feet are just sticking out from it? Well, I had a dream that I was like stuck under a building, and just my feet were sticking out, and people were walking by and tickling my feet. Like literally, that's what I was dreaming, and I was – and but – something was actually tickling my feet. Like I woke up to the feeling of something actually tickling my, tickling my feet, right? So then I freak out and I like look, I wake up and sit up and my friend is at the end of the bed tickling my feet trying to wake me up because she wants breakfast. I was like having a sleepover and my friend was sleeping with me. Anyway, it was the creepiest thing ever. I was so weirded out. I was like, why would you do that? I would rather you like use an, a blow horn to wake me up than tickle my feet. Please don't ever do that again. I like personally I don't want kids that's just not something I see in my life or want in my life but 
this is a whole other reason for why I would never want children. If I ever walk past a bedroom and hear my child talking to somebody, like having a full-on one-sided conversation, and they're like looking at something and talking to it that I cannot see, I'm getting rid of the whole kid. Okay, throw it out the window. Like take out the trash. We're not doing it. Uh Uh-uh. Nope. No kids for me. I'm not doing that shit. Oh my goodness. So that scene, I love when horror movies make me like think of scary things that have happened to me because that's when I feel like the more relatable a horror movie is, the better. Maybe that's just me though. I know some people like, you know, super outrageous movies that are never going to possibly happen to somebody, but whatever. So and one in one part of the movie, Christine is sitting in her bed and the door is like slowly the door was originally shut shut and it's slowly starting to open and it's just dark you can't really see what's coming in through the door it's just really creepy one time this happened to me it was also at a sleepover all the creepiest shit that's happened to me has somehow been at a sleepover so you know do it that way you will but I was sleeping over at one of my friend's house in elementary school and she had an older brother who was like a teenager Keep in mind, I said elementary school. We were literally in like fourth or fifth grade, probably, I think fifth grade. So I was staying over at her house and she had a really huge room, like huge, huge room. And so we were, we were like all the way in the corner of the room, farthest away from the door, but I was like directly pointed at the door. Like I could clearly see it. I was facing the door and I was sleeping closest to the door and we slept with the door shut. But it was dark in there. We had like one little nightlight that was in the bathroom and the bathroom door was open. So I could barely see anything. But I swore that I saw the door opening. And I was like, wait, I can't tell if the door is actually opening or not. Because it was like slowly creaking open. And I was like, and she was at the top of the stairs and her door was definitely shut. So there was no fucking way that this door randomly opened by itself. And so I, my heart starts racing so much because the door is just slowly opening and it's so dark and you can't even see the stairs. It's so dark. Like, oh God, it was so creepy. And so, and I'm afraid to like say anything because like, what if somebody is coming into the room and like they hear me say something, you know, like I was freaking out. So I just closed my eyes and like put my head under the covers And then we hear like a loud like growling noise like, you know, like somebody fucking with you. And it ended up being her brother and his friend like sneaking into the room to scare us. Anyway, it definitely scared me. But that is what that scene reminded me of. And anytime the door is like slowly creeping open and you can't tell what's behind it, but you know something's coming, those type of scenes gets me. Oh yeah, another thing I could not handle is when one of the sisters, I think it's Andrea, gets out of bed because Nancy is like banging her head against the wardrobe. And at first I was like, oh no, why is she getting out of her bed so calmly to put her back to sleep? But it's because she was a a known sleepwalker. And I am so glad that I do not have any sleepwalkers in my family. Like none of my sisters sleepwalk. One of my sisters talks in her sleep but it's very innocent stuff. Like I think I've heard her talk about like cheeseburgers before, just random shit, you know, nothing creepy. But this actually happened the other day and it was really creepy. So I've been fostering kittens. They're two weeks old now. So I have been feeding them on a very rigid schedule every two hours. And I wake up, you know, in the middle of the night to get up and feed them. So 
my boss, her grandchildren, like, come stay with us on the weekends and everything. And uh, (laughs) so they were sleeping in the back room, you know, like 30 or 50 yards from me. And the door was shut and everything. And so I'm up in the middle of the night, like 2 a.m., making a bottle for the kittens in the kitchen. And then all of a sudden I hear a child giggling. And it's like clearly Elizabeth, but it's 2.30 in the morning and no other sounds have been made since like 9.30 at night. So I'm just sitting there wondering why the fuck this five-year-old is giggling like this. And like, no, 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 no. It was so creepy. And I just sat there and I was like, what the hell? And then she giggled again. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to lose it. I can't do this. Like I'm about to run outside and hide. And then I heard her grandmother say, what's so funny? What are you laughing about? And then I was like, oh my God, thank God somebody else is awake. Like I couldn't handle this. And then apparently she was like laughing in her sleep. And I know that sounds really cute for like a little kid to be laughing in their sleep, but honestly it scared the bejesus out of me. My juice box is running out. Bro, they need to make juice boxes bigger than this because I'll finish a jukebox. Ju- oh my God. I'll finish it. Fuck. I will finish a juice box in literally like five sips. I swear. Maybe I just chug it. I don't know. Oh yeah. Whenever in the movie, whenever Ed is finally like, okay, this is what it's come to. I have to perform the exorcism. And then Roger, the husband is like, wait, I thought you said you couldn't. Like, I thought you weren't qualified. And then Ed's like, basically like, ah, no, it's fine. Just a, you know, minor inconvenience. I'll do it. It's okay. But <laughs> I wrote in here that if I, like, I can never do an exorcism simply because how many times have I fucked up words, like, just in this episode? If I was sitting here reciting Latin to a demon, I would probably slur my words, mispronounce something, and unleash, like, five more demons in the process of trying to exercise that one it would not end well oh yeah so after like they do the exorcism and she comes out fine and carolyn is herself again and everything she immediately like runs to her daughter the one that she tried to kill and is like i love you baby i'm so sorry i'm so so sorry and the little girl just like hugs her and is like cool with the shit and i'm i'm just sitting here thinking like not even your mom just think about one of your friends Like, if your friend got possessed and tried to kill you, and then you saw an exorcism be performed, and suddenly they were cool, you would still have the worst trust issues ever. Like, even though you think they're good and everything, like, no, there's no way you could trust them that easily. I would absolutely not. Now think about it being your mother. Like, heck no. I know the little girl would have been traumatized. But, like I said, that didn't happen in the real life story, so whatever. Yeah, so... That is it. I was expecting this episode to be like a lot fucking longer considering I had six pages of notes on the parent family and like eight pages of notes on the movie. But funny enough, the one I researched for the most is the shortest episode. So anyway, yeah, that's cool. Thank you guys so much for listening. Check out the show notes for more information on the movie. The Conjuring 2013 can be watched on HBO Max. Follow on Instagram, rate the podcast, let me know how I'm doing, and then tune in next week. We are going, I say we, I mean like me and you guys, the listeners. Um, Tune in next week because I'm going to be covering my first true crime case, which I am very eager 
to do in a respectful way. So that one is not going to be as funny, obviously, as some of the horror movie reviews that I've done, because, you know, I think it's very important to be respectful to the victim and the family of the victim that we will be covering in that episode. So yeah, tune in next week to hear the tragic story of Jessica Chambers. Bye.